a trend, you'll know he'll attend. Oh shoot, oh shoot, your boy did it again. You're now listening to Bobby and Friends. Bobby and Friends. Bobby and Friends. Hello everyone, thank you for coming on to Bobby and Friends and on today's episode I have on my friend Nia Watts who is the first black woman to be elected student body president at Georgetown University and she'll be talking about growing up in the DMV and just you know some of the plans that she has for uh, Georgetown as she is set to become, well she already is, uh, the first black woman student body president and just some of the work that she's also doing and trying to push the university to deal with their past involvement in slavery here in the U.S. And so we'll be talking a lot about that. Growing up in the DMV, some of her takes on DC. Always make sure to follow uh, this podcast at Bobby underscore X underscore friends. And that's both on Instagram and Twitter. And also make sure to share it with your friends, your family, frenemies, anybody that you can think of that would love to listen to Bobby and friends. And so thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Niall, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing well, no, but uh, thank you for coming on to Bobby and friends. No problem. I'm happy to be here. Well, could you first introduce yourself in terms of what are your names and where are you from? Yeah. So, hello, my name is Niall Blast. I'm a junior in the college. I'm majoring in government and I'm double minoring in African-American studies and sociology. I'm a DMV native, so I was born in Baltimore, but I grew up in PG County, like right outside of DC. So did you go to school in DC at all, or were you just still in PG County for most of your <laughs> My mom, when, the whole reason we didn't fully move into DC yeah. is because I'm gonna be, I'm gonna keep 100. Like the, the public school system, and even the charter school system <laughs> in DC is terrible. Okay. <laughs> so I could've gone to school in DC, but my mom was like, I'd rather you not. So well, that's actually why we didn't move further into the city when I was Well, young. no shade on that, but you know what? It's it's your honesty, so <laughs> <laughs> They're getting better. It's just the unfortunate yeah. thing is because DC is not a state, it's like mm. every system, whether it's education or not, it's just yeah. an experiment for somebody's ideas. Uh, so whether or not it helps people is like secondary. But that's a whole other conversation. Uh, and uh, also, so, so first of all, well, how did you end up uh, coming to Georgetown? Was that your first choice? Or what was it about Georgetown that just, I guess, captivated your mind that you wanted to be here? Georgetown's really funny because it's like in the same way that like when you're asking like a middle school student, mm-hmm. like where they want to go and they say Harvard because yeah. they're just like saying shit kind of. That was me with Georgetown. Okay. It was a local school. It was a local good school. So I would either say Howard or Georgetown. Um, I've always really been interested in politics, so I already knew that like wherever I was going to go to school, being from the DMV, I'm probably the best place already. Yeah. Perhaps New York, if I was going to go into more of an international politics, but DC is already the place to be, so I knew yeah. I probably wouldn't be going too far from home. Mm. It's really funny because I actually wasn't going to apply to Georgetown. Like, mm. I don't know if you know about like college confidential and all that type of stuff, yes, which yep, is basically yep. like... Mm-hmm. <laughs> The very specific formulas of strangers telling you whether or not you can get into schools. So just work. I had a good GPA, but like with my SAT, I was just like, maybe I might not get in. So I don't know if I'll apply. And I actually ended up applying because my mom made you. My mom made me because Mm -hmm. the funny thing about Georgetown is you have to pay before you actually do the application, which is different than most other universities. Mm -hmm. So my mom paid. And so then it was like, well, I can't. You cannot I can't apply not apply. That was like $75. Yeah. And so that's how it happened, actually. 
Oh, wow. And and so, you know, tracking back a little bit, so how was your experience of sort of growing up in PG County um, and, and sort of, again, for those listening, PG County is sort of a part of the DMV area, so just right outside of DC. How was that experience like for you? Oh, I loved it. Yeah. I think that D, the, I believe PG County is the most wealthy uh, black majority county in the United States. Yeah. And that's not to say that's like synonymous across like every town and, and every community in right. PG County. But I think that it was like really interesting to grow up in a place that was black, but also black with resource. Mm. And your teachers are black, your doctors are black. And I think, especially when you think about Maryland and how that's oftentimes coded as a white place. Mm. For my experience to just not be that. Right. I think it's like really interesting. So I loved it. Um, I went to school here, I think from second grade onward. It's just been a dope experience. I love it. I love the culture of it. I love the blackness of it. That's so like redundant, but I mean it. I love it. I love that it's like not just African-American, but it's African. It's it's like Canadian sometimes. It's weird. Like it was a really, <laughs> no. So yeah, I really appreciated it. I love the community. Um, it's actually been decent being here in light of COVID and not being able to be in Georgetown community mm. so like yeah i it was a wonderful childhood and i'm happy that i got to grow up here and get to claim it now and was the transition from coming from pg county to come to school like georgetown was that easy for you was it how was that experience like because again it's still dc so you're somewhat familiar or very much so familiar with the city but how was it coming from PG County to a place like Georgetown. How was that experience like for you? I think it was really interesting because even though I'm from DC, Georgetown is probably the neighborhood that I had the least amount of interaction with prior to going to Georgetown. It's the kind of Loki the least interesting neighborhood. It's the most expensive. It's the furthest away. It's the least commutable because it's yeah. one of the only neighborhoods, not the only one that doesn't have a metro. I think the closest is Roslyn and that's still across the Key Bridge. Yeah. So I think there are one or two times that I can remember actually being in Georgetown when I was younger and it was only retroactively after going to Georgetown yeah. that I realized that this was the neighborhood I was even in. I had like very segmented memories where I couldn't <laughs> even remember where in DC it was and it was because I was in Georgetown. Um, I think that Fun fact, my grandma, like when I was younger, like she lived in Iowa. So really? I spent a lot of, I spent like the, yeah, the first, like it's so weird. So I was born in DC, I was born in Baltimore. Yeah. My mom, because my grandma was in Iowa to get her like master's degree, she moved to Iowa. So I was in Iowa for the first five years of my life. What university was she at? Uh, I don't even remember. Oh, okay. It was uh, one of the, it was one of the, think it was I think East, maybe the East Iowa? Oh, okay. there's University East? of Iowa there. Yeah, like we lived in Waterloo, like where my grandma was. It was probably University uh, of Iowa. Yeah, like, <laughs> chances are. No, but like, so I'm not like, and then my grandma, like, even after that, she like lived in Mississippi. So all I have to say is like, I'm not new to white people. Like, I get it. I'm about it. Um, I will say that the culture shock of just, if you're not taking an AFAM course or another court that ha course or African course or something that has intrinsic to identity, yeah. like that type of stuff, you won't see black people. Mm. Like in a lot of my government courses, I am the only black person. I think I'm a junior at this point. It's not yeah. that deep. I understand that. I understand the cultural like aspects of campus, mm. whether we're on it or digitally. But I do think that was the biggest culture shock. It was just very specific areas of black life and mm. like not seeing as many intersections coming from PG County, where like your teachers are black, your principal's black, your doctor's yeah. black, your librarians are black, to going to kind of just being more of a segmented, like 
subculture mm -hmm. I think is really interesting. Yeah. I don't think I struggled with it per se, mm -hmm. but it was a difference in feeling and kind of being able to navigate environments and like the average interaction that you're having with people. Yeah. I remember I always talk about, I don't always talk about this, but the one thing that I will bring up is like my sophomore year, I was on Red Square and there was this white girl white woman maybe I don't know her name or her age but basically <laughs> she was asking to like she, I don't I don't believe she went to Georgetown because she's like you know how people will just randomly ask you how to get to things mm -hmm. if you're touring so yeah. like I think she was asking that and then what came up was her asking me if I go to Howard which is weird because I'm on Georgetown's campus and Howard was like my second choice yeah. like I would have loved to have been to Bison the only reason I didn't go to Howard really is like just because of the money the money right there yeah. but for it to be like you can't believe that I'm a student here well, we're on the campus and you're asking me where things are and I'm able to show you, like that was weird. And yeah. I guess like that's a good analogy <laughs> for what it's like to go to Georgetown. I very much so understand on that. And, and sort of onto that with Georgetown. So you actually were elected the first black woman um, to be student body president at Georgetown University in its 230 plus years of existence. Um, and I remember you actually wrote a tweet where you said, imagine being told you don't belong your first year and being told you're the first black woman to be president ever in your third year. Explain to me sort of that thought process or just that tweet that you, you know, that you tweeted out there and sort of why you said the things that you said and sort of what that experience has been like for you to be elected as the first black woman um, here at Georgetown University. No, like, yeah, I think it's just, in having that, like that small, like it's a microcosm, like that specific question about Howard, but it's just kind of a greater narrative mm. of you not quite, and like there's an undercurrent of interaction that there are people who you go to school with, who you're in classes with, who you're academically competing with, mm. but the assumption, the underlying assumption is that they're here because of merit, right. and you're here because you fill a quota exactly. and you're here to socialize people with a diverse set yes. of individuals before they go into consulting and yeah. stuff. Yeah. So I think, or whatever they do, once <laughs> you go to Georgetown, you become president, it's like that type of thing. But I think that as I kind of, ultimately I ran because I want to help people. And I think that having that office is the most effective way to do it. And I think that if we're changing us, it'll be more of a student advocacy body that elevates the needs and the voices of the students who are pretty well intentioned and already understand what they need. They just need the resources in order to get yeah. that from the administration and so on and so forth. But also to kind of be more mindful of like the individuals who are within the institution and whether or not we're creating a work environment that is actually like not toxic and inviting and engaging and being what it sh says it is on paper. Like, I think as I kind of went through the process of going and being in classes and meeting people and like specifically meeting the people who like were set up to succeed at Georgetown. I think like you might know about this, Bobby, just like there are definitely people who are Bill Clinton E and like the expectation yeah. is that they will get this thing like, oh, they're gonna run for Gusa right. and they're going to win because it's owed to them because of this like long lineage of systematic, this is just who they are and this is just what they get to be. Right. And I think that it was kind of the shift of my interactions with my work with like GU 272 and the Black Survivors Coalition and like successful negotiations with administrators and also just like in terms of like my private career and what I've been able to do with working with people. It kind of just became like, not only can I do it, I think I'm the best person for it. Right. And I think that there was like this growing of confidence in like my understanding of like my role on campus and what I am and like the impact I get to have. Yeah. And I guess that that's kind of that transition and pathology that I'm really trying to like, that I think that tweet encapsulates. Mm -hmm. It's kind of just like you go from this to that. And now I'm like, 
and now I'm president. And it's kind of dope. And it's not a surprise. Yeah. And I won by 200 plus votes. Yeah. It wasn't close. Like, yeah. that's really dope. So, yeah, I think that's, <laughs> she said, Just I think that's what I was kind of trying to encapsulate with yeah. that tweet. Nobody called me the N-word yet. Yeah. But, well, um, <laughs> but it is that kind of shift in Look, perspective. I, I know we're Georgetown and we got our issues, but Rose is not American. Or yeah, you know, so. it's not. There's no, bro, the way the, that banana stuff in America. I almost went to America and I got into their honors program. Mm. And my mom, like, yeah. fun fact, this is such a side note. It's just funny. Once my mom dropped me off for their overnight thing, yeah. she spoke to, like, one of the first black students she saw because we were in, like, uh, like a room that was in a dorm. Yeah. And she was like, yo, so I just dropped my, you know, she did that black mom stuff and just talking mm. to people. Mm-hmm. So she was like, um, so what would you say about your experience at Georgetown? Like, what would you, not Georgetown, an American. And he was like, oh, I'm transferring out. Oh. <laughs> just like, <laughs> okay. so I think that tainted my mom's perspective oh my God. on American from then. That's such a needless, like, little side note, yeah. but it's just, that's always what I think yeah. about when I think about America. Yeah. And, and, and so I wanted, so I wanted to sort of like keep talking about that a little bit, about just you being student body president, sort of like, what are some of the priorities that you sort of have for the next school year or some things that you would love to at least uh, achieve or attempt at achieving, you know, as you go uh, on this journey? Yeah. So I think there are long term goals and there are short term goals. Okay. And I think that sometimes Gus struggles with both. Mm-hmm. So the long term goal, and it's something that Nicole, like uh, my vice president, has been really working on to the Senate and yeah. being brought over to the executive to finish is the restructuring. Mm-hmm. So the idea that Gus could probably be more effective and efficient and conscious body if we operated in a way that wasn't trying to appeal to like governance. Mm-hmm. Like student government is great, but if you don't have any legally binding mandates, right. it's only so helpful to have mm-hmm. legislation. We should be doing things that are based in like networking and resource building and that's what we kind of want to do overarchingly one of the things that we're doing like most immediately that i'm very excited about is one is that a lot of states have consortiums between universities dc doesn't have one so we're really interested in like reaching out to howard and american and gallaudet and catholic and having a network of communication with the schools within the district but also we want to have some intercollegiate national work in terms of issues that are of federal concern to college students universally. That doesn't currently exist. And that's probably one of the biggest things that we're working on. It's like, I don't want to say we're just working with the federal government, but it's kind of going to be that. And I'm actually very excited for that kind of level of networking that hasn't really been done by any like a college or university student body or student administration previously. But if I were going to talk about things that are specific, I feel like a politician. I guess I am. Oh, that's that's kind of terrifying. (laughs) But no, um, in regards to things that are like Georgetown specific, a big thing that we're working on not just like for getting funds through like the traditional senate like FinApp stuff but mm. like through alumni donorship mm. our direct impact initiatives yeah. so resources for lgbtq students for disabled students uh either getting the metro U pass referendum out or having a metro uh transportation stipend available to students yeah. like a lot of the immediate necessary things that students need in order to actually succeed at georgetown exactly that's what I'm really excited for. Like essentially just giving resource and material and in some cases financial support to students, like in a direct and immediate way, in a way that the university hasn't been able to do or hasn't 
chosen to do yeah, yeah. in a way that Gaza hasn't necessarily been structured or primed to do previously. Mm. So like that's a, like there's a whole lot of stuff that we're trying to do. There's like even like getting ASL courses again that when we were partnering with Gallaudet and having those courses count towards language requirements, like actually having a broader span of languages that can you can actually apply for not just for in classes but when mm. you're like you know how when you're coming into Georgetown there are certain languages that if you already speak them that just meets your proficiency requirement. Yeah. We want more Asian, African, Indigenous languages included mm. in that, mm. like more structurally. Mm. So like there's a bunch of little bitty things yeah. that come together for like a platform that I'm really excited to execute because I definitely think that my team is a team to be able to do it. Well, I'm sure you all are going to be able to do that and, you know, obviously happy that you are the ones representing us in this effort. Um, and there was another thing that's obviously been a, a, a I want to say a dark history of Georgetown, if you will, um, or an unfortunate history, um, you know, about sort of Georgetown's um, role in sort of the, uh, I guess, the, the slave system, if you will, and, and, and sort of the practice of slavery in this country. Um, and that has to do with the, some of the work that you've done with the GU 272. Um, and I wanted you to speak a little bit about sort of what that work was. Um, why was that work important? Um, and sort of what you all were able to achieve as part of that work, you know, you and the other um, members who are part of the GU272 sort of advocacy team and sort of what that experience was like for you. Well, yeah, I think one thing to, uh, I think one thing to emphasize is that work is ongoing. Yeah. And it probably will be past the point of us graduating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that the reality of that work is that I think a lot of times it's, framed as like a needless dive into history mm. or a attempt at charity but yeah. ultimately to me it's just like a working bill that hasn't been paid and mm. people are due this type of support that they would have had if georgetown hadn't taken very specific yeah. and intentional Calculate. action in their harm yeah. Not just with like, I know like the 272 is the iconic number, but there were enslaved people before that on Georgetown's campuses in plantations and there were enslaved people afterwards. Mm. Like we're talking upwards of 272 men, women and children who were involved in this. Right. And I think that there's something to be owed to that. I think that especially during the year when it really popped off is that like you had democratic uh, candidates talking about reparations, you were having the HR 40 bill mm -hmm. and really what Georgetown became, even though that's not initially the, I would say the point of the work mm. is that we became a microcosm experiment right. for the United States. I think that's how it was framed in the media and that's how people look to us because Georgetown for better or for worse is a PWI yeah. and I think at most there are like 600 students who are black mm. and so even if you were going into the idea that we were a monolith of opinion on the G272 referendum which mm. we aren't even right. if every single black student voted for it, it still wouldn't have been able to pass. Mm -hmm. There's 7,000 students yeah. in the undergraduate. Yeah. So it was the idea of can a predominantly white institution, if they can do it, mm -hmm. if these students who are for better or for worse, because Georgetown's a kingmaker mm -hmm. organization or institution, like these people are going out and they're going to be in positions of power yeah. across several different industries, because that's just what Georgetown does for its students. Mm -hmm. If these people can see a reason to engage the past yeah. in a way that is meaningful and intentional and requires reflection in where we stand in it and are able to say that we take on this responsibility and we want to pursue it, 
then there's no reason why the country can't. Exactly. And I think in that regard, Georgetown was really successful. I think it made it really clear that as much as we want to make this strictly an identity issue, where it's only things that black people are talking about right. because they want checks in their mailboxes, I think it complicated it. I think it made it more nuanced. Mm-hmm. And I also think that it forced Georgetown, though we can talk about whether or not they kind of upheld that, right. is that Georgetown probably wasn't taking, not probably wasn't, just wasn't taking the descendant community seriously. And a lot of the decisions that they were making and a lot of the rhetoric they were having around them, they weren't included, they weren't in the room, they weren't in the negotiations. And it's like, you can't actually be doing this work. You can't be saying you're taking on the responsibility of supporting and acknowledging and working with the community that you won't yeah. even have in your meeting. So I definitely think some of the uh, rhetoric around the GU272 that the media did and that some of the students had was unfortunate. I definitely think there was some paternalism there. Mm-hmm. I definitely think that it was kind of dehumanizing. Yeah. And as someone who's like, whose family, like so my mother's side of the family is like from rural Mississippi, mm-hmm. even if you're in those types of communities, you don't want to be spoken about. Like you're just like bum fuck in the middle of nowhere, right. can't read, can't do anything. Even if a community needs resources to be spoken of in that way right. is pretty shitty. Like a charity and case. And so almost. I think that if, Hmm? Almost talking about them, almost like a charity case in a way. Yeah, right. So I think that if 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 I could go back, I wouldn't take back the work. I don't think anyone would. I think it was important, but I wish we had done a better job. I, I guess we're students, and we can't really control what CNN is saying to an extent. But I just wish the conversation around it, even if it was at the end point, to mm. the benefit of a descendant community or trying to acknowledge that. Mm. I do wish that the language around it had been like a little bit more cognizant yeah. and aware of its impact. But yeah, I, I think that summarizes it's like I support the work, we continue doing the work, mm. and it probably will be long, long, long years of work outside of the three years that I've been here yeah. to get something worthwhile done. And so Georgetown has actually announced uh, a $400,000 a year plan to sort of help uh, or aid um, the descendants of the enslaved people that they have sold. Um, and there was a New York Times article by Rachel Smorns, who I believe is actually the, the uh, reporter who ended up sort of, I guess, busting this story about Georgetown uh, and the Jesuits being basically selling 272 enslaved people um, and probably more uh, in order to save the university financially. And in this article, they talked about how basically the plan is that Georgetown is going to raise about $400,000 uh, a year to sort of benefit the, the community of these enslaved uh, individuals that were sold. And the plan they said is to support community projects, health clinics, and schools. Uh, but the thing is that that is not what the students had asked for, sort of in the referendum. So we had asked for, um, I know it wasn't binding, but we wanted it to be binding and sort of, we believe that students should at least a portion of of what they pay to the school, but tuition and fees, a portion of that should go towards helping the descendants of, of, of the people that Georgetown uh, unfortunately sold. Um, and so what do you think about Georgetown's plan with this $400,000 a year commitment to what the students had asked for? And do you think that Georgetown is going in the right direction? Do you think that they should do more? Um, do you think that it was wrong for them to sort of be like, well, yeah, we appreciate the spirit of the students and wanting to do this work, but we're just going to do what we want to do and forget about you know their wishes. What do you think about sort of what's going on with these efforts now and what the university has decided to do? Well, I think ultimately, like the referendum fee and this four hundred thousand dollar like fund could happen like simultaneously. I yeah. think the idea that we're doing this instead of the other is kind of just like all right, you could easily be doing both. You just don't want to. And I think that like the idea that Georgetown would have done this had there not. Been 
been a referendum. I think they just didn't want it to be student controlled. Mm. I think they just wanted a different yeah. angle of it for yeah. how it worked. So I think that's why they did it. Mm. I don't necessarily think that it's something that they would have done had there not been the public and social pressure that was created by the students in the GU272 and the Descendant Association themselves mm. in pushing for a response that's meaningful. Yeah. Um, Georgetown's really good at talk, but I think I am always concerned about the action and whether or not that action is done in ways that are thoughtful. Mm-hmm. and are inclusive of the voices that it impacts. Mm-hmm. I think the fund sounds nice, but yeah. I know people who are supposed to be on the committees for that who haven't heard anything from it. Mm-hmm. Descendants who have been, who are previously in pretty regular communications with the university about it being ghosted by vice presidents and wow. things of that nature. So I think that like my ultimate position is like one, it didn't really have to mean that the referendum fee didn't happen. I think that's like just a false Mm. imperative. Like I don't actually think that's something we have to buy into. And also it's like one of the many things that Georgetown is like, that sounds great. Um, Do it and do it well, Mm. because it just doesn't sound like you're doing anything. And I understand that COVID like probably impacted how they were able to go about it financially but like you don't get to say that you're committing to this lifelong work that is like compassionate and nuanced because of the pandemic like at Mm. some point even if you have to pause it because you have institutional emergencies you put out a statement about that you have a consistent dialogue with descendants about that and that slowing of the process and what it means but what the timeline actually still is there's a lot of things that could be done that weren't Mm. so you know i think you know it sounds nice everything sounds nice everything georgetown has ever done sounds nice on paper but whether or not it actually is substantive is a different question Mm. so you think there's sort of somewhat like a lack of transparency and honesty with the public as well as the student body of of sort of what their thought process and what they're actually doing um, versus what's actually being put out there in the media space um, as this is the work that we're doing, but behind closed doors, it's a more complicated uh, process than it's being displayed. Like, so even with the thing that just happened with, it's un- I have to read it again, because it's still very vague. I believe it's like something the Catholic Church is doing, mm-hmm. so it pivots the responsibility off of Jesuit universities like Georgetown. It's separate from the 400,000, yeah. but the Racial Justice Foundation that it's going to be doing, yes, I don't believe that they, I think they consulted like three possible descendants on it. Mm-hmm. And so I think actually a lot of people are really angry with how that happened mm-hmm. and are very offended. Yeah. And I think that the way the Catholic Church did that, or Georgetown, is very unclear where the line is drawn between the institutions for this, which is another reason why I have critique. It's unclear what the foundation is and what it's even going to be doing. Mm-hmm. But like that's an example of something that could be done well. I don't. I, it's weird. I think that like there's a lot of there's a moral imperative here for sure. But in terms of things that Georgetown could have done that are just good for publicity and substance, they don't do even symbolic empty gestures. They don't do. So like we'll see. I just think that yeah. I think what you said summarizes it really well. There is a narrative, and then there is the truth, and then there is how Georgetown actually interacts with and pursues what it promises and i think that in all areas not just the gu272 there's sometimes an unfortunate amount of disparity (laughs) between those two things and so what are some what are some of the hopes that you sort of have for the university um as next year is going to be your last year obviously you know what are just some of the hopes um that you have for the university 
Um, my primary hope is just, just getting it right. I feel like we have the capacity to. I think it's just whether or not we're going to be putting Georgetown in the position where it is not an option to not take meaningful mm-hmm. and decisive action, yeah. to not be providing timeline. Like, even with our platform, we're very reasonable. We're saying that, like, there's a lot of things that come into play about what you're able to do. But if you're not able to do something now, you need to be communicating your plan to do it mm-hmm. and your timeline for when it gets done. Right. So I think that as long as, like, and even with the work that we're trying to do on like a federal level with other universities i'm just excited for creating enough pressure to make things happen because i do think that there's a level of like principled and gentle conversation that you can have with administrators and there's an extent to which that can be successful but oftentimes things don't happen until you make them happen or you make it like not unstrategic to not do it that's not grammatically correct but what i'm trying to say is we just need to make it lucrative and strategic for georgetown to do things that it needs to do so i think and that's a lot of what my uh last year is going to be dedicated to for sure and do you hope to have a, a career in politics or do you not know for sure i think at this point i'm screwed i yeah. think i'm i i think <laughs> in that in that way that like you like like i like politics in a way that people yeah. who don't like politics don't get it right it's, it's fascinating to me it's engaging to me but ultimately i think it's the best vehicle for helping people mm-hmm. now i don't know if that means i'm going to run for office again because yeah. that's like i feel like oh my i feel like politics are so bad <laughs> or if i'm going to be a bureaucrat or if i see myself working on campaign strategy or if i see myself doing more of departmental work like with uh department of justice or things yeah. of that nature mm-hmm. but i do see ex- or even if i do like because i've been doing some like media uh producing work yeah. surrounding like political issues so even if it's more of the msnbc thing that i'd mm-hmm. be doing mm-hmm. but i definitely see whatever my career being mm. intersecting with politics mm. for better or for worse yeah. <laughs> given what politics are yeah sort of seems like it might be inevitable for you at this point um and obviously i know you'll be successful at whatever you do um and sort of i wanted to do a speed round of just some quick questions about just dc and whatnot and just get your takes on it and my first question was what's your favorite uh spot to hang out in around dc bro <laughs> uh... <laughs> There's a lot of places to vibe. I love Florida Avenue just because of the restaurants there and also the hair stores there. But also um, on the beauty stores, it's non-black moniker, I'll say that. Um, My favorite neighborhoods are low-key Eastern Market because it's like, it has the Bulletin, which is like my favorite place to get milkshakes and it's just very nice and walkable. But Gallery Place. Oh yeah. I miss Gallery Place so much. (laughs) So I would say Gallery Place, actually. I just named like eight different places. But like Gallery Place is my final answer. I always tell my guests this is an important question and your answer will be (laughs) harshly judged. Georgetown Cupcakes are baked in wire. What? <laughs> I would never wait no line for Georgetown cupcakes. Never. <laughs> never. It's baked and wired. It has to be. Somebody really has to get those tours hip to what's 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 the uh, what's the best place for cupcakes. Nah, nah, I don't want them to know. No, you don't want the okay, we just want to keep I, it a I think it's fine. Okay. They can have Georgetown cupcakes. They can have them Georgetown cupcakes. Uh, are you a brunch person at all? Hell yeah. I'm joking. No, wait, yeah. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah, I am. What's your favorite brunch place? I do have one. Okay, I guess. Okay, Busboys and Poets. I love for breakfast and just events, but I know mm. it's not really a brunch place, so yeah. I'll say Milk and Honey. Okay. And what do you love about DC? Everything. I love the culture. I love the people. I think it's Chocolate City forever. Mm-hmm. Changing demographics or not. Yeah. Just the music of it, like go go. I just love it. Just every mm-hmm. aspect of it is dope and intentional. Yeah. And like 
lot like even georgetown was black like it's just yeah, dope it's just like i think the in the just the way in which blackness permeates everything about this city mm-hmm. like the culture the institutions mm-hmm. the neighborhoods and who originally built them although it's an entirely different conversation like i just love it it's yeah. just dope and i and i literally i love cities in general mm-hmm. But there's just this thing that I have with DC that I don't really have with other cities. Yeah. Like it's definitely where I see myself being. Like I want to travel the world, but I want to die in DC. Probably, mm. I guess is the great <laughs> way to say it. Uh, and what do you hate about DC? Gentrification. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's a lot of times where things could be better if just like local government would manage resource mm-hmm. and protect people in better ways. Yeah. Um, MPDs trash. Mm-hmm. Like they're actually trash. I, can't I think the only that. worst uh, police officers are like in Baltimore. Mm. Like honestly, yeah. yeah. And I think that like <laughs> the educational system and just charter schools and the disproportionality of that and the, the like lottery based for you to, your child to get a good education or not. Yeah. Like I think there's just a lot of failures of local government mm. that don't allow DC to be what it could be right. or what it often is in spite. Like there's no sense that we have like a bunch of bunch a bunch of like black mayors who when you're looking at like grocery stores. Mm-hmm. Ward seven, Ward eight, which are the mm-hmm. one of the like majority black like uh, wards in DC, don't have like they have like three grocery stores mm-hmm. between them. That doesn't right. make. But every time, like Georgetown has like eight, and every new development in other communities, there's automatically a Whole Foods in the apartment building. Like it's not adding right. up. So mm-hmm. I think that's like my bit- my biggest critique of DC. Mm-hmm. And uh, what do you hope to? To see change in DC, I'm just hoping that there's enough of an investment in infrastructure and resource that's not just surrounding the people you want to move in, so that there can be a replacement rate, the mm. desirable neighborhoods, right. quote unquote, but just in the communities where everyone exists unilaterally, so that they could all be what people hype Georgetown up to be. I don't think it's actually that far away. I think that if we just have some proper management and some effective resource allocation. It could be much better, and so that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. I'm frustrated because it hasn't happened yet, but it still feels very feasible. Mm-hmm. So that's what I would say. And obviously, the most important question that I always ask all my guests that come on Bobby and Friends: DC statehood, yes or no? Yes. All right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, well, you know what, Niall, thank you so much for coming on to Bobby and Friends. It, it was great having you on and sort of having this conversation. And wish you all the best and uh, your. Uh, journey as uh, the first black woman of uh, who's the student body president at Georgetown, but as well as you know your future career and all that you plan to do. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, I'm happy that I was you know invited to be on. Of course.